Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Today is Friday, July 29th, 2022. Lots of interesting things going on in the blogosphere, on the sites, and everywhere else. I, you know, the top story, I think, right now, as, as I'm recording this, is that the first House Democrat has come out in direct opposition to a Joe Biden re-election campaign. That's Dean Phillips in Minnesota's 3rd Congressional District. I was talking to WCCO yesterday and saying that Joe Biden is essentially too old for the job and that he wants a younger generation uh, to be front and center in the 2024 elections. Um, he says, I think the country would be well served by a new generation of compelling, well-prepared, dynamic Democrats to step up. And with that, I hope we see a resurgence of the principled, centered right Republican Party reform. Uh, well, that may be the case one way or the other, but uh, it's certainly a, a notable event when an elected House Democrat tells its incumbent president not to run for re-election. Uh, that was Dean Phillips. Dean Phillips is running in a D plus six district in Minnesota's third congressional district. It's very interesting because that is the same district that Eric Paulson represented for five terms. Uh, and he was first elected in the Democratic wave election of 2008. Uh, uh, Dean Phillips was first elected in a Democratic wave election of 2018. So this has been a Republican seat in the past. It is more of a Democrat leaning district. It's very close to Minneapolis. It's very close to Minnesota Five, actually, and so you've got the you've got some Minnesota you've got some Minneapolis districts in there. But I think Dean Phillips is very worried about what a Republican wave means for uh, for Minnesota Three, which means that they probably should be worried about what a Republican wave means for Minnesota Two as well, where I used to live, uh, which had been a fairly Republican district until Angie Craig won the last couple of cycles. Now. I think that those were not necessarily close run elections, but they were in range of uh, Republican turnout. Minnesota is always, you, you, you can, this is a Lucy in football, in the football sort of thing uh, when it comes to Republican wins in Minnesota. But Republicans have won in, in the third and second districts there before. And if Dean Phillips is worried that, about that enough to distance himself from Biden this much on WCCO of all places, then I think you are seeing some very interesting dynamics start to unfold. He's the first one to explicitly say that he will oppose a Biden re-election campaign in 2024. I think as the summer wears in, on into the fall, he won't be the last. And you might start seeing an avalanche of this even before the midterms, because that's when uh, that type of distance will help Democrats most. It doesn't do them any good to get that distance after a midterm loss. Other other great stories that are up today, by the way, um, we have um, uh, a, a, a couple of polls showing that um, uh, Dr. Oz is trailing Fetterman by double digits in Pennsylvania. Our guest today on the podcast is Rob Davies, Republican running for the Pennsylvania State Senate in a district in Montgomery County, which is near Philadelphia. And Rob Davies is also a VIP Gold member. So we got a chance to talk a little bit about that. We talk a little bit about Dr. Oz's campaign, David McCormick's primary campaign as well, and, and Rob Davies' own campaign, what's, what, uh, what is important to uh, Pennsylvania voters in this cycle, and why the polls may not reflect uh, where Dr. Oz will end up, although they may reflect where he stands at the moment. Uh, of course, one of the biggest stories that came out yesterday was the Manchin-Schumer uh, agreement on reconciliation. Uh, we have not yet heard from Kirsten Cinema. I am skeptical that she is going to 
uh, vote to torpedo this uh, arrangement, even though it contains a tax provision that she has vehemently opposed in the past. And I think the fact that she hasn't said anything in the last 24 hours indicates that she's probably going to go along with this. But until she does, of course, we don't know. So Politico had a story up about how uh, a silent cinema is stressing out the Dems. I just stretched out that alliteration a little further and had some fun with it. But in the end, I'm very skeptical that cinema is going to torpedo this bill. And I think if Republicans are hanging their hopes on on cinema, I mean, that's an even dicier prospect than hanging your hopes on Joe Manchin. Um, we found out, of course, today that uh, we found out yesterday, late yesterday, that the assassination attempt on Brett Kavanaugh actually um, uh, involved uh, three targets, uh, two other justices, although they're unnamed at the moment. Uh, Nicholas Roski, who was the uh, attempted assassin, had been discussing these plans with other people. And he uh, said, quote, I'm shooting for three. And he wanted to change the court uh, through assassination so that uh, the uh, so that the court went back to having a liberal advantage. Uh, now, I think that this is remarkable on its own, but I'm also very curious about the lack of media coverage of this as domestic terrorism on the left. They, plenty of, they have plenty of space to talk about domestic terrorism on the right, and, and, and it exists. It does exist. I'm not denying that it, that it does. But it exists on the left as well, and groups like Jane's Revenge and Ruth Sent Us are part of that. Antifa is part of that. And yet you don't hear about domestic terrorism on the left, even when you have an assassination attempt that is at least tangentially uh, connected to this because Nicholas Roski got Kavanaugh's address from the Ruth sent us um, uh, social media postings. Jane's Revenge has been conducting violent attacks on pro-life uh, facilities and are pledging to do more. Uh, this is also domestic terrorism, but you don't hear Merrick Garland talking about it. You don't hear Joe Biden talking about it in those terms. You don't hear the media covering it in those terms. In fact, they're barely covering the the, the Kavanaugh assassination attempt at all. It's only when a, a new affidavit is filed that they even bother to mention it. And again, don't cover it in domestic terrorism terms, uh, which is what happens when you have any sort of violence on the right. I mean, this is, they were covering parents going to school board meetings and getting angry as domestic terrorism. Merrick Garland declared it to be a, a, a potential domestic terrorism. And all that was, was parents showing up to school boards, which are basically town meetings, which is where they're supposed to show up and vent their frustrations. Um, so yeah, there's a whole lot of media bias going on in, in the way that these things are covered. I wrote about that uh, a little earlier today. Uh, new measure out on inflation, from the Commerce Department, the Bureau of Economic Analysis. This is the PC index inflation rate, which was 6.9%, highest it's been in 40 years. And this is actually the metric that the Fed uses to calculate its uh, monetary supply decisions uh, in, in regards to inflation, in regards to keeping inflation in check. And this shows that there's an awful lot of work for the Fed to do <laughs> to get that under control. We're looking at uh, probably the need to do like 300 or 400 basis points over the next few months in order to get this measure to, in order to get inflation to cool down. This is at the same time when you've got uh, two successive quarters of real disposable personal income declining, which is certainly a recession for consumers, even if it doesn't necessarily mean that there's an overall recession going on. 
Um, and this is, it's very bad news. And uh, this PCE index is apparently going to keep going up because it's actually accelerating. The month-on-month the -month rate, which I think was 1% today, was the highest it's been since 2005. So the, inf the inflation here is accelerating. It's not decelerating. And that means that the Fed's actions here aren't having the desired effect yet. And it won't until their base interest rate, their prime interest rate, gets somewhere close to where the PCE index inflation rate is at. They're, the range right now is two and a quarter to two and a half percent after the last um, hike that was uh, just a week ago, and 6.9%. That's a four percentage point difference, uh, you know, even slightly over four percentage point difference. So we've got a long ways to go, and I think we're going to have inflation tearing away at buying power uh, for quite a few months to come. And of course, finally, I think the most popular post today was probably our VIP post, which was about uh, Justice Samuel Alito telling Prince Harry to pound sand. And if you're a VIP member, you should go read that because it's a lot of fun. And um, and I've got the video of it in there. Uh, but I, I, there's an even better point here on religious liberty that I think might get lost in the shuffle. So I wanted to make sure that I highlighted that because I think Alito has been a very strong voice for that type of um, protection of the First Amendment rights to... Uh, free speech and freedom of religious expression, especially in terms of the Establishment Clause, which Neil Gorsuch recalculated in Kennedy v. Bremerton in this in this term. And I talk a little bit about that as well. Well, coming up next is Rob Davies, who's going to talk to us about Pennsylvania, his campaign, the overall campaign. We didn't get to the gubernatorial race, but Rob did promise to come back. And uh, our, our VIP gold member, who's actually running for office, in Pennsylvania comes up next. Rob Davies, stay tuned. Thanks for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Welcome to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. And joining us today, this is really a, a, a real treat for me. I hope it's going to be for you as well. It's my first time I get a chance to interview somebody who's a VIP Gold member at the Town Hall Media Group. Uh, and Rob Davies, is running for uh, office in Pennsylvania and happened to pop into our VIP gold chat with uh, me and Cam Edwards and uh, mentioned that he was running for office. And I said, hey, I know who my next interview is going to be. So, Rob, welcome to the Ed Morrissey Show. And thank you so much for being a VIP gold member. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, been, it's a pleasure. So you're running for state Senate in, in the great state of Pennsylvania. Where are you running in? What what area of the, of the state are you running in? Okay. My district is known as District 12. It's in Montgomery County. It covers approximately a third of the county. So we're just outside Philadelphia. My district goes up the, the county line with Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I know Montgomery County. It's in the um, eastern part. Um, so that makes you an Eagles fan, right? Uh, to the extent that I, I, I follow football. Okay. Uh, busy year. All right. Well, I'm a Steelers fan. <laughs> So I just had to, I had to see if we, if we could set up some sort of, you know, fake conflict for this, uh, for this interview. That won't do it. Okay. Well, but I do believe that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. So that could be something. Oh, well, there you go. We're already, uh, we're already at loggerheads right here, right now. So obviously you follow my Twitter trolling. So thank you very much for that as well. Um, all right. So to get back to, um, uh, your your race in the 12th district, right? That's the 12th district in, in Pennsylvania uh, State Senate? Yes. Just want to emphasize that so people know where to look for you. 
uh, you know, what are the big issues right now in PA-12? Or well, it wouldn't be PA-12, that's the Congressional 12, but I mean in, in the State Senate uh, District 12. I think it's the same that we're seeing you know, throughout Pennsylvania and throughout the country. Uh, I think economy right now, you know, as James Carville said, it's the economy, stupid. Everybody that I talk to, that's either their number one or number two issue. The other big issue that I get from a lot of people, and it kind of surprised me, uh, I didn't realize it until I went knocking on doors to get my petition signed to get on the ballot. They're very concerned about election integrity as well. No, that is interesting. I mean, I, I, and I think that, you know, people have multiple priorities, right? And you, I'm sure you've already seen this uh, from the door knocking. But I, I will say this on door knocking, too, is that I don't think either party does this particularly well anymore. And, you know, I wrote the book Going Red to talk about some of the issues that basically disconnect political parties from the voters that they're trying to talk to. And I think Republicans may have improved a little bit on that. I think Democrats have definitely gone backwards on that. Barack Obama actually was very good at this and of using and of using very innovative techniques in building, you know, voter blocks, base, you know, political bases of support. Something that both parties apparently didn't bother to take a lesson from. How, you, as a as a more local politician, obviously, you're going to know that community better anyway. But how did that process of door knocking make you a better candidate in this race? I learned a couple of things. One, most people don't answer their door to strangers anymore. Yeah. So you have to lock on a lot more doors than you might have had to do 20 years ago. Uh, they have cameras and they have dogs and they don't want to be bothered. So that's one. But the people that we did talk to were very, very interested in what's going on in the community. They're, they're unhappy about the economy and the inflation, you know, gas, groceries. They're not happy about the, the previous election. A lot of them believe there was fraud. And, you know, without a doubt, there was a degree of fraud. Yeah. How big it was, it's hard to tell. But even just the way they structured the election with mail-in ballots and late registration and counting ballots that came in after the deadline and the way they changed the law without following the proper procedures, there were a lot of things that weren't done properly. And people are, are very worried about the integrity. And we have video of a Democrat uh, committee woman stuffing ballots into a, a box late at night. And you know they identified her, they identified that it was more than one ballot, but the county election board decided, oh, that's okay. Even though it's a violation of law, it had something to do with counting nursing homes as one residence so all yeah. these people live in the same residence so you can bring their their ballots at the same time yeah that's a problem and this is the reason why i have always favored um uh, bans on ballot harvesting and uh, a requirement I, I you know my preference would be vote on election day period Absolutely. apply for an absentee ballot the normal way and under you know some circumstances you can be granted them but I think that it's better to have a single voting day rather than to spread it out over several weeks and that sort of thing. Now, I'm clearly in the minority here. <laughs> a lot of people like early voting and that's fine. I, I mean, I, I can live with policies that other people think are better and uh, that I get outvoted on. But I think that I think in the 2020 election, there were definitely a lot of novelties that were put in place out of necessity that we shouldn't 
make a regular part of elections. So I understand where those voters are coming from. And I think it's, you know, obviously this was, Pennsylvania was one of those uh, states that really had those issues um, and need to do something about it. So this is a you know, perfectly legitimate issue uh, mm -hmm. to be running on. Now, I'm sure that Democrats are going to make it sound like you're a nutcase for bringing it up, but your voters certainly aren't going to think that you're a nutcase for bringing it up. Yeah, like I said, it surprised me because, you know, while I knew that there were some things that were improper about the election, I just figured, well, you know, that's the past. Let's move forward and, and try to fix the problems and, and do what we can to, to make a difference. Right. And they said, no, we need to go back and look at this and make sure that we're doing things the correct way. Yeah, and I think that that's completely fair. I think that's a. I think that's something as especially because it is a state level issue. Mm -hmm. It's part of the jurisdiction of states to run their own elections. I think it's something that the uh, the state senate and the, and the and the state house or assembly. I'm not sure which it's called in um, Pennsylvania. I believe it's house. Um, yeah, we have it's the general assembly and there's uh, the house and the senate side. There you go. So you know, in in California where I grew up. It's assembly and Senate. So you don't call them house. <laughs> you just call it legislature and it's, you know, assembly and Senate and other States it's, you know, house of Burgesses. I still haven't figured out what that is, but, um, <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been alive 59 years and I just really haven't figured out house of Burgesses yet. But, um, but, uh, Rob, I mean, in, in Pennsylvania, I mean, I think that, um, economy is going to be a big deal. It is a big deal for you, probably even more so in the congressional elections. And, uh, you know, you, you've got the report that came out today, as we're talking today on Thursday, got a report that came out today talking about the uh, the fact that the economy slowed down and contracted again two quarters in a row. You, mm -hmm. can, make, you can make an argument that the first quarter was a technical contraction that maybe didn't reflect economic activity but the sec this quarter this this new report is showing that the second quarter really did go backwards and and well first off i'll let you react to that what was your reaction what do you think your voters reactions have been to to the, um to both of these economic reports i i think the news just confirms with what people are feeling you know a, right. a lot of small businesses are are still you know on the knife's edge of whether or not they can continue. They're still failing at very high rates. Uh, you know, it, yes, gas prices have come down, but what we're seeing is that part of the reason for that is demand destruction. Yes. Because, you know, we just, it, you might not know it. Uh, this morning we also had uh, initial unemployment claims, which are now at an eight week high. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and I did see that. And, and you know, the, the GDP report. Yeah, I wouldn't say that those numbers are extraordinarily high, but they're going in the no. wrong direction, right? And that's, the trend lines are all in the wrong direction. And I'll tell you something else too about these reports and something that most media outlets really aren't picking up on is that GDP reports also have reports on what's called real disposable personal income. That's your buying power. That's your household buying power. And the word real on that signifies that it's adjusted for inflation uh, because it will give you both numbers, give you nominal, then it will give you inflation adjusted data. And this is the thing that I think people are really missing is that in both quarters, real disposable uh, personal income contracted. 
And in the first quarter, it contracted significantly, of course, because you had the buildup of all the inflation that preceded before it. And this is kind of a compounding thing. It again contracted in the second quarter by a lesser amount, but that's a lesser amount as compared to Q1, which is already a large contraction. And with you know, see, you know, uh, consumer price index inflation running at 9%, uh, producer price index running at 11.3%, we can expect to see more of that. And I think this is the reason why, even though economists are going to argue endlessly whether or not this qualifies as a recession or whether you have to get the NBER to declare it one next year, looking back to here, which is the argument that people are making, the fact of the matter is, is that people feel they're in a recession because it, in terms of disposable, you know, real disposable personal income, they are in a recession. It's they going are. backwards for them. They're losing ground. Yeah, you obviously uh, dig into stats just like I do. Yeah, I'm a geek. Well, I mean, <laughs> I've been doing it for over 30 years as part of my life, as part of my job. Yeah, I, you know, I, in my previous career, I was a stats guy too, although it was a completely different set of stats. Uh, but it's really easy once you're a stats guy to start looking at all sorts of different data sets and determining what matters and what it says and how, what the trends mean and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, going from call center management to, um, to economic analysis is not as big a leap as you might think, Rob Davies. <laughs> no, obviously not. Obviously not. All right. So, I mean, when when Pennsylvania voters, uh, if they are sitting around the kitchen table. They're looking at their budgets. They're feeling this pinch. And I think that Pennsylvania voters over the last 40 years have had a lot of 50 years have had a lot of these pinches. They recognize this when it comes up. And so uh, clearly this is going to be a huge, important issue for you uh, and for your voters, obviously for you. Um when you uh, you're running in the primary right now, and I don't know what the status is, you know, and I don't. I don't... Uh, our primary was in May. Oh, I'm sorry. You're running in. A, this is a general election. I'm sorry. This is yeah. all general election. Well, good. Then I can say we endorse you. Um, <laughs> so, who is your Democratic opponent, and what is that person saying about uh, the economy? Are they parroting the um, White House line that um, this is not the inflation that you're looking for? Uh, well, her name is Maria Collette. She's the incumbent. Uh, she was elected four years ago. She has a, a voting record, which is, I, I guess the fair way to describe it is very left-leaning. Okay. Uh, which is not in tune with uh, Montgomery County and its voters. At least I don't believe it is. Uh, not too many of the voters that I've been talking to have even heard of her. So That's always a bad sign. So she's not doing the door knocking. In other words, she's not going. Uh, she probably is. Uh, I don't really spend a whole lot of time following what she's doing. Uh, I, I make sure I know Good. how she's voting on things. And I try to compare and contrast what I would do with what she's doing. And right. I, I think one of the most important ones recently, our governor tried to impose a carbon tax without going through the legislature. Uh, it's called RGGI, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. And the effect would have been about a 30% increase in the price of electricity. Uh, right now it's in the courts and it's been suspended. So we don't know exactly where it's going, but the Senate held a vote to stop the governor and it fell one vote short. And that one vote could have been hers. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, that makes, that makes every Democrat in that, in that chamber, the deciding vote. 
exactly. which which is you know completely legit. That's completely, um, it's a very it's a it's a very legitimate point, and I suspect that if it's in court, it's probably going to be there for a while. So by the time the election rolls around, if you win, you can uh, you can be the the vote that goes the other direction. That's my goal. What else? I mean, what other? I don't know too many people who think their electric bill is too low right now. Right. It's been a hot summer in this area. Uh, I'm sure people are not looking forward to getting their next bill. I just got mine, and my usage was actually down five percent from last year, but the bill was up twenty two percent. Right. Um, you know, and um, I, I live in Texas, where it's been over a hundred degrees for I think two or three weeks now, <laughs> every single day. And uh, yeah, I'm looking at, you know, we've, we have the um, open market electrical electricity um, thing here. We're all connected to the grid, but we can choose our provider, right? And right. the nice thing about that is you can watch your usage every single day. You can, I mean, technically speaking, if you log into the, the core site, you can watch it every 15 minutes. Um, and um, yeah, we're using an awful lot of it this year. <laughs> the prices haven't gone up as much um, in that period of time. Uh, but, um, they did go up a little bit cause I had to change contracts and, um, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to be paying a little bit more out of the pocket, but the nice thing is that, te you know, Texas is an energy producing state. Now there's some issues down here with that and that's not, it's neither here nor there for your campaign, but Pennsylvania is another energy producing state. A lot of coal, a lot of natural gas. I think enormous some amounts of natural gas, enormous and amounts we're of natural gas. One of the gas. largest electricity exporters. Right. We're number in the top five. Right. So where is Pennsylvania's energy policy right now? We know we're we know where the, the White House's energy policy is right now. It's a very uh, contradictory and really incompetently handled energy policy, uh, which is a large part of the reason why gas prices shot upward um, over the last year and a half. A lot of that, by the way, was preceding the war in Ukraine, even though media outlets keep insisting, well, it's Ukraine, it's Ukraine. It's, it was it was up nearly 60% before Vladimir Putin even started staging the troops around the Ukrainian border in the final, in the final stages of this uh, preparation for the invasion. Um, this is about energy policy. It's about restricting energy resources and trying to put fossil fuels on the shelf when renewables simply aren't... In, in, it's not a technology that, that's ready... Right. For, for to to take over the role that people want it to. So in Pennsylvania, uh, what does the current energy policy look like? And what what, what would you change uh, after being elected to the state Senate? Well, I'm a big believer in natural gas. I, I'm actually in all of the above when it comes to energy. Uh, right. I'm, I believe in nuclear energy. Uh, coal has a place because it, it's a relatively inexpensive baseload production. Uh, for electricity, and we have a lot of it here. Right. So there's that. Uh, but Pennsylvania's greenhouse gas emissions have actually gone down substantially by converting from coal to gas. And, you know, e e even in Europe now, they're saying that natural gas is a green energy alternative because. Well, it, it burns clean. Yeah, it burns, it burns clean. clean. It has a lot less carbon in it than coal, certainly, which is almost, you know, all carbon, at least for the energy part of it. And. Our current you know, administration here, Governor Wolf, uh, is doing everything he can to limit energy production in our state. Uh, for instance, 
if you want to build a temporary road to a drilling site, you need to get a permit for uh, soil erosion and sediment, which is, is common anytime you move dirt. Sure. The Department of Environmental Protection says that a permit like that should take two weeks to get. Uh, I have uh, relations in uh, the construction field in Pennsylvania, and I'm told that never happens. You know, you're looking more likely 30 or 35 days when you're building roads. But if you're doing it in the energy field, you're looking at six months delays. Why? Why in that in particular? Is there a, is there a is there a reason for that, or is it just uh, sort of like using the bureaucracy policy to to do everything they can to disrupt production of energy? Right. And uh, you know the uh, the current lieutenant governor John Fetterman, who is a Bernie Sanders type socialist, and he's running for Senate against Dr. Oz. Uh, he you know they just came out with some information that says he wants to ban fracking altogether in Pennsylvania and called it a stain on our state. Yeah, that probably wouldn't go over well if he was running um, for a state office. Um, I don't know about the Senate because there's a lot of you know outside money that comes into these Senate races, and of course Oz himself is kind of an outside guy, um, which Fetterman is relentlessly pounding. I guess like we could we could talk a little bit about the about the U.S. Senate race if you like. Fetterman Fetterman had a stroke, and it it turns out to have been a lot more significant than his campaign initially let on. Certainly, we hope he. Mm -hmm fully recovers, but it's clear that he hasn't, at least not yet. He's, as far as I know, he's not even back out on the campaign trail. He's doing, you know, like, you know, social media videos and stuff like that. And and he's apparently paying minor celebrities to attack Oz for having lived in New Jersey. Silvio Dante. Well, Steve Steve Van Zandt. But uh, (laughs) yeah, the, 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 the E Street guy. The, the guy from The Sopranos, he's paying him to take pot shots at, at Dr. Oz. Uh, and again, look, I mean, all's fair. If you, you know, it's, I'm not going to say it's not a, that it's somehow outside the bounds and it's actually kind of amusing, but it does sort of act as a distraction campaign to the fact that Fetterman doesn't appear to be healthy enough to campaign on his own. Well, there's that. And also, you know, where he stands on issues, which is- right you know, at the far end of the radical left extremism. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to spend some time with Dr. Oz. We were doing an event in a a town near me called Lansdale, uh, sort of a community festival in the park. Sure. And we invited his campaign, you know, if they wanted to come out and put out promotional materials at our tent, whatever. And he actually came by for almost an hour and I got to talk with him. And the next day he was at another event that I was at and he gave a really nice speech. And I didn't realize this, but his ties to Pennsylvania are pretty significant. Uh, you know, he grew up in Kennett Square in Chester County. He went to school at two different schools at University of Pennsylvania for medicine and business in Philadelphia. So, and, and his wife is a, a Montgomery County resident. Her, her family has been here for a long time. And they, he actually lives in my district now. So he's going oh. to vote for me. Well, that's good. <laughs> Glad to hear that you got Oz's endorsement. It sounds like you're uh, endorsing him right back, which is what Absolutely. we what we expect and what we hope. Um, and I'm glad that you're comfortable with him. You know, I, there's been some discussion about the fact that Oz really hasn't been up on television yet, um, where Fetterman is. And there, you know, Fetterman's got I think raised more money than than Oz has uh, been able to raise so far too. But 
you bring up an important point. And I think it gets back to the point that we were making at the very beginning of this discussion is that it looks like Oz is doing the groundwork, right? I mean, not necessarily the groundwork in terms of, um, you know, getting, you know, paid uh, folks. And maybe he's doing that too. What I'm talking about the groundwork though, is he's actually showing up in these communities, going around talking to people at these um, community events mm-hmm. where people are not just present, but also interested in having these exchanges. And um, I mean, I think that that's something, and again, I don't wanna blame Fetterman for this, but he's just simply not gonna be able to do, at least not for a while, based on his incapacity. Um, And that might be a better better platform for Oz than Fetterman's, um, you know, air war, um, which I think people tend to overstate the importance of and again this gets back to what i was writing in going going red which was you know in the 2012 campaign you know romney spent tons of money on <laughs> on on television ads i mean they were running them all over the place they were the same ads in every single market which was one of the problems that that, that has because they weren't listening to people on the ground whereas oz if he's, if he's actually doing this and he's doing it regularly he should get a pretty nuanced view of not just what people are concerned about but how to articulate his agenda so that it actually matches what people are concerned about in each of these different communities, right? And I, that's really the, that's really the, the magic, um, you know, the, the, the magic beans, I guess you can say, of retail politicking. Yeah, uh, and I guess from my perspective, what I saw with Dr. Oz is, you know, I, I have some volunteers who, who were there with us and they questioned him and they weren't where at his speech. And they're, they're, they're saying, okay, maybe we don't know exactly where he stands. Maybe he's not as, you know, a right wing conservative as some of us would like, but they're willing to give him a chance. So I think he is winning over the base. I think that's something that he hadn't done through the primary, but I right. think he's doing it now. And well, I, I think, think, yeah, I think David McCormick actually had a pretty good, um, you know, primary campaign as well. I think they were both, mm-hmm. I think they both were in very good primary campaigns. And I think they both had, you know, they had differing uh, value. But they both, I think, were relatively equal value candidates in that primary. And that's the reason why they ended up one and two in that primary. And McCormick only barely lost out. And, and because, I think in two years, we're going to see McCormick running again. Yeah. For the next I, th- I think so, too. And I, I think he's, I think that he had to be encouraged by how well he did in that primary. Because when he got in, it was crowded. And... Um, he, he and Oz rose to the top of that and McCormick wasn't a celebrity candidate, right? I mean, Oz came in with a lot of name recognition. doesn't mean that he was resting on that name recognition. He's clearly doing the work, mm-hmm. but I think if, if, if I'm David McCormick and I'm inclined to try it again, I have to be very encouraged by how close I came, uh, in the primary this year. Absolutely. I actually had a chance to, uh, to see a speech he gave about a mile and a half from my house, uh, right before the primary. And I was impressed with him as well. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I interviewed him once on on Hugh's show, right? And I, I, I'm not sure if I interviewed him on my own or if Hugh, or if it was when I was doing the tag team thing with Hugh. But either way, I was impressed with the way the conversation went, and I came away 
uh, came away much more impressed with him as a candidate. So yeah, I'm hoping in two years he's he's back on he's back on the campaign trail. Uh, and but I'll say this about both of those men: neither one of them grew up, you know, in wealthy households. Right. And both of them have become very wealthy through their own hard work and intelligence. You know, so in a lot of ways, they are the American dream. And, you know, I, they're going to get a lot of criticism, you know, like, oh, he's just a rich guy. He's a billionaire. He's a. But the fact is, both of them made it themselves. And I'm sure their families played a big role because nobody does like this alone. But, you know, they did it. Well, I think so. And uh, let's wrap up, though, talking about your campaign. What's coming up next for you? And where can people find out more about your campaign and where they can go to help? Okay, well, my website is Rob, the number four, PASenate12.com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook under that same moniker, uh, Rob for PA Senate 12, and on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, you can donate if you're so inclined uh, to my WinRed account. There's a link on my website for that. And, you know, I would appreciate it because my, uh, my opponent will be very well funded. Uh, last time there was a lot of outside money that came into the district. I expect I will be substantially outspent. You know, I've never done this before, so I'm sort of the underdog. But we're, we're waging a, a hard-fought campaign here. We're doing everything. I have a small team of very smart people. And, you know, any support that people want to – and, you know, if there are people in the area who want to, uh, to come out and volunteer, we're looking for volunteers for Election Day. Tonight I will be going to a fundraiser for one of the state representative candidates whose district is – uh, in the southern part of mine, in Plymouth Township, and so uh, we're and you know our, our next step, I guess, will be going door knocking. I just uh, received an order of ten thousand door hangers. There you go. So so we're hitting the ground, and we're going to do everything we can, and we try to go to as many community events as we can. We have a nice table and tent and a flag. It's all very nice. And you can see pictures of it uh, on any of our social media. All right. Well, Rob Davies. I want to thank you for uh, sitting down and talking with us today. Thank you very much for being a VIP gold member as well. I'll just plug that. And it's if, my uh, pleasure. And well, and it's great having you in the, in the chat room. So I know you're busy and you probably can't be there every single week. You know, at Wednesdays at 1:30 Eastern time. But as often as you're in there, make sure you get in there. Let us know how you're doing. I think everybody now is interested in how your how your campaign's going. So feel free to um, to mention that. And uh, Rob Davies, thanks again. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you, Ed. All right. Stay tuned. We'll be back with a little bit more from the Ed Morrissey Show coming up next. Thank you for watching and listening to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Be sure to subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube to get alerted as soon as new episodes get published. You can support the Ed Morrissey Show and Hot Air's VIP reporting by becoming a VIP member, too. Visit hotairvip.com and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA, all one word, for 40% off your membership. Choose VIP Gold and gain membership to access to all of the town hall sites. Thanks again for watching and listening.